Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Brother Morris Nicholson. be going to brother morris god bless you good morning everyone i have chosen to uh, look at some scriptures which will come up on the screen as sean brings them up but my reading is based on hebrews 11 verses 1 to 7 the area of scripture I would like to look at this morning, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 7. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. All right. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did by faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God, comes to him, must believe that he exists and he, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, being when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By this faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So this is the text and scripture that I want to dwell on this morning. So we come to bow in prayer before the Lord and ask that he will open his word to our hearts. Father, we thank you this morning. We can gather in your presence, though we are separated by distance. We are not separated at the throne of God's grace. We thank you that we can ask that you will minister into each of our hearts. 
the truths that set us free from the bondage and, and uh, the lost estate we have once been in and Lord brought into the liberty that only Christ can give us, the liberty to know that we are sons of God and heirs of God according to his promise. Lord, we pray this morning as we come to this word, the Holy Spirit will minister into each of our lives, renew our minds, instruct us, and give us confidence in the God whom we worship as our Saviour, our Deliverer, our coming King, Lord, and one with whom we will dwell forever in your heaven and know your reign upon this earth. Lord, we thank you for the instructions of Scripture that build our faith and trust in Christ himself. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm just going to uh, step out of this for a minute and ask Margaret something. Could you put my computer here with my screen of all the texts on, on the... Because I don't, it doesn't come up on my screen. Right, that's it. All right. Uh, cool. It's right. Now it's there on the screen. Uh, I've put it in order in order to keep it as reasonable as I can to what I intend to convey this morning. I noticed that Calm uh, had read from Psalm 8. A remarkable psalm. It is unique as a psalm because it has the same verse at the beginning and ends with the same verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it's a psalm that reflects upon God as the creator. Strongly given in that psalm 8 is, where, is David's words. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? So David regarded the heavens as the handiwork of God and he calls the moon and the stars. A remarkable creation is the heavens itself. When we come to this book of Hebrews, it's noteworthy that as we go, start to go from the beginning through the book, the, the fact of God as creator of all things is dwelt upon much. So if you take your Bibles, you're in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So the introduction to this son of God 
whom he's about to open out in this book of Hebrews is the fact that the universe is his handiwork. He's spoken it was, he commanded and it stood fast. So we go back to our understanding and we go from verse 10 to 12 and we are reminded further that he is the creator. So if you go to Hebrews 1, 10 to 12, he also says, this is God the Father speaking to God the Son, addressing him in person. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Now note in the text there, it takes us back to the beginning, and it tells us what happened. He laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, that visible evidence of his handiwork that is seen before us. He created it. He will fold it up. But he remains unchangeable. And that's a very great fact about God. He is unchangeable, both in his purpose and plan, and what he accomplishes will be according to his will. He will carry it through. So we go back to the text on the screen. And it says, <clears throat> Hebrews 2, 5 to 8. Again, we're looking at his factors creator. Hebrews 2, 5 to 8, <clears throat> which is again taken out of Psalm Eight. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. So here in vision comes the message of the book of Hebrews, the world to come. And he's, we're speaking about that which is to come in this book of Hebrews, this letter to the Hebrews. He says there is a place which is Psalm 8, which was read this morning, where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, yet you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him, you crowned him with glory and honour and set him over the works, put everything under his feet, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is put not that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, and that is our position now. We do not yet see everything subject to him. That includes death. Death will be the last enemy that he will destroy. Totally subject to him, and. Man himself will not be subject finally to death itself because 
we will be in a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not come into remembrance. There's no more pain. There's no more mourning. There's no more suffering. A blessed time lies ahead with expectation for those who put their trust in Christ here. So we turn back to the texts that support our thought that creation is very important to God. Chapter 3, verse 2 to 6. Again, he brings in this amazing creator into our understanding. <clears throat> Speaking of Christ, our apostle and high priest, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And to verse 6 of it. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful, present tense, as a son over God's house. And we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. This book of Hebrews is a word of encouragement, a short word of exhortation is the summarizing of the book at the end and is, is marked by the use of the words as we go through the book of Hebrews. Let us, where the writer of the Hebrews combines his hearers with those <coughs> he is uh, going on this pilgrimage with till finally it ends in heaven itself. So we have a remarkable statement made here. And the last one I put in there is Hebrews 4, 3 to 5. Now he, we who have believed, enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on earth in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So there is a reference back to the creation account and they shall never enter my rest. So we come to understand that the, the thought of God as creator is laid as a solid foundation to the work of the uh, great high priest, our heavenly high priest, the, the uh, Melchizedek, the king and priest, after God's order, that they will be... Uh, um, forever 
permanent. When I have put this down, I have put it down in the light of the facts that we have concerning the book of Hebrews and its truths. In saying that, let me be careful. The writer to the apostle to the Hebrews, to the Jews, was Peter. In Galatians, he argues that Paul is the Peter is the apostle to the Jews, Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. And we know when we read the books of Peter, the letters of Peter, the first letter, if you take your Bibles, I haven't put it on the screen. You can put it on the screen if you like uh, there, or you can just look in your Bibles. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, where he gives us uh, the writer to the Hebrews, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He gives us those to whom he writes. Notice, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scatters throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. He's writing to those who have been, next verse, verse 2, it says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctifying work of the Spirit by obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we have here the Jews to, to whom Peter is writing as the apostle of the Jews. When you go through into Second Peter, we find that he writes to the same people a second letter. He writes a second letter. And this is said in chapter 3 and verse 1 in, in Hebrew, in 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 3 and verse 1. 2 Peter 3, yeah. Notice what he says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. So he's writing again a second letter to them. And at the end of that second letter, he has a very significant word. If you take, go across in 2 Peter 3, verse 14. 2 Peter 3, verse So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, that is, dissolving of the heavens and the earth, <clears throat> they're melting with fervent heat. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. Now we come to an amazing word. Bear in mind, keep in memory that our Lord's patience means salvation. 
the reason these things are not taking place yet is the purpose of God is salvation. Now we come to just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So from that verse, we understand Paul wrote to the same people that Peter wrote his epistles to, the Jews scattered abroad. They had received a letter from Paul. He had written to them. He wrote with wisdom that God gave him. And so we go on in this text, verse 16. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort or twist as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So we come to an understanding that Paul wrote to these same people that Peter wrote to. They received a letter. And if we are to be honest with handling of scripture, the only other epistle written to the Jewish people is the book of Hebrews. He is the author of the book of Hebrews. I won't go into the other marks that may, there's a lot of discussion and dissension about who wrote the book. I don't want to enter into that. To me, it's simple and plain. Paul wrote to these same people Peter wrote to. And the comments on it are very clear. So when we come to the um, this thought of the epistle to the Hebrews that we have here, his origin lies to me in Paul and is marked by characteristics that are carried in Paul's other epistles. In the book of Hebrews, it is very interesting the words used. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the word substance is used twice. It's used in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, if you've got uh, a KJV, faith is being sure, being uh, sure of what we hope and certain is the substance. The old King James is, it's the substance of things hoped for. That is the word that is used. It's used twice in Hebrews round here. Uh, no, this is Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, faith is the substance. Now notice, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I'm going to say here, as we come to this statement here, I find the book of Hebrews, as we go to this little section I've chosen out of it, supports the thoughts we get from the book of James. James said, faith without works is dead, being alone. 
He's, he argues in the book. You say you have faith. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith with my works. It is the evidence of faith. Faith is evident, made evident by the works that are the outcome of it. And so as we go through the book of Hebrews, particularly the whole of chapter 11, we begin to understand that there is an outlining in the whole of the book of Hebrews of the, the solid substance, the evidence that we find supporting faith in the book of Hebrews as evident by the actions that proceed from that faith. And he argues really the same as James is arguing, faith without works is dead. Now faith is used, or substance is used in the old King James, also in Hebrews 10, 34. In Hebrews 10, 34, the word substance, notice what it says, you had, you had compassion of me, in my bonds, took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance, something that is uh, permanent, settled, and absolutely basically yours when compared with what you have lost, what these Hebrews had lost. They had... Uh, become laughing stock, they had been mocked, they, they had, um, were in danger of going back under the uh, old form of worship because the letter to the Hebrews is written during the time the temple has not been destroyed, the temple worship is going on, and there is the, the tendency to take on the ritual the things that are real, the things that you can handle, the, the, all the temple uh, sacrifice, the high priest, all the work was going on still. And these had come out of that system to trust under a new covenant that was their position. Now it comes to the point where it says, you took uh, joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Not only that, the Bible tells us they become companions of those who were so treated, those that were put in prison. They had come to suffer because they had trusted in the new covenant. They were not going back under the old covenant. This is a condition in which the Hebrew, this Hebrew letter is written at the time it was written, before the destruction of the temple. And there was a temptation to go back to the former covenant under Sinai and all that went with it and that form of worship. So they had been through it. They had really suffered. And he said, don't throw away your confidence. It has a great recompense of reward that is before you. So we have the background to all the giving of the book of Hebrews to this people. So I've taken out the two words substance, shown that one is uh, the word hooper is used in the, in the Greek 
there over a place beyond. So it's a place that is beyond, above, and all that uh, compared to what they were giving up for the sake of what was to be theirs finally in Christ. The other one uh, is in Hebrews 11, one where substance is used. It is an abstract um, that is, just let me see if I can. Uh, yeah, all right. I will notice on the screen that you have there, it's, the word is, literal meaning of the word in Hebrews 11.1 1 is a setting under, that is as a solid basis. It is given in the abstract meaning assurance. So there is an absolute assurance, a setting under. And objectively um, or subjectively, it's your confidence. You are confident. It's in a person. And there is substance, a solidity to what you have come now to rest in. So... Faith is the substance, the solid, confident basis on which we, we rest. It is the assurance that we have in Christ. So when we come to this position of these Hebrews, I won't cover the one I have put in there, from Colossians, I will leave that out. What I've done now is taken you to Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, which is now familiar to us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the ancients received a good report. If you switch across to the end of that record of Old Testament saints who are given as an example of those who by faith accomplish works. You come to Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. You can bring it up on the screen, please, Sean. Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. And these all, summarizing all those listed in the um, Hebrews 11 of those who through faith accomplished works that were a product of their faith and evidence of the quality of the faith they had. These all having obtained a good report through faith. Now, keep that in mind. There is a good report through faith. Received not the promise. So they had all that. They never received the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, and that includes us now, that Paul is writing, that they 
without us should not be made perfect. So there is a, a time and an effect of this same faith on the church. They without us should not be made perfect. So there's time ahead when perfection will be true in both their, those that are listed there and those today who have through the, the time of the church have suffered the consequences of the faith in Christ they've held to. They have lost things. They have been mistreated. They have been rejected by the world. This has been the evidence, the outcome of their faith. There is a great company that uh, will be joined together. They, without us, should not be made perfect. So we go back to the screen again, the text. So we come to this book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 3. And now I'm going to just sum up through very quickly what we have seen here. Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So go back to the uh, text of these, the uh, text again, please, Sean. I've asked two questions from that text. What do we understand? From that text, what do we understand? We understand the, word, the worlds, the universe was framed by the word of God. What is the, our basis for understanding? Is it science? Or is it something else? Because today, the basis for our understanding is said to be science in inverted commas. Because science that is put before us today is not science as science is understood. True science was formulated and is taught all over the world in the early grades of high school that you, you have a problem you want to solve, you set up something to test the problem you are looking at, you carry out an experiment, you observe it, you record it, you analyze it, <coughs> you draw your conclusions, you make uh, conclusions from it, which you proceed to prove as repeatable, and so that is science, you observe it. There was no one there to observe the world being formed. So that is not the realm of science at all. Science demands someone was there to observe it. 
So what we have today is a contradiction of what that text is saying. Through faith, we understand. Through faith. Where did that faith come from? It came from the word of God. Faith comes by, by hearing, hearing by the, under, uh, the understanding of the word of God. Faith comes that way. And through hearing the word of God, we understand uh, what the origins of our world, the origin of mankind, and that is all about. And some of the texts that have come up, some of the texts through which uh, Colm read this morning covered that whole basis which we have looked at. And we understand the world has turned its back on God as creator. <clears throat> so I've just listed some amazing texts there, which I won't go through, except I'll quote from Psalm 33, 4 to 11, which speaks an amazing way and it says that the all right we've got it there for the word of god the lord is right and true he's faithful in all he does the lord loves righteousness and justice he, the earth is full of his unfailing love by the word of the lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth remember psalm 8 which was read before he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Keep going down. Let all the earth, here is the response to this understanding. Let all the earth fear the Lord, stand in reverential awe of him. Let all the people of the world revere him. Why? For he spoke and it came to pass. For he commanded and came to pass. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. Remember this because he's doing it now. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand forever, firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. That is the God whom we worship. That is to be, or meant to be, the, the, the reverential awe that men should hold when they look on the heavens and the earth, the handiwork of his hands. There should arise in them that awe, that reverence of God as creator. Now that is wiped out in the schooling systems of the world. I've traveled enough to know that. And the world has turned its back on the knowledge of God as creator. And it has come to be a place of worship of idols. And the mark of the, of the last days is God's like climate change. Who's in charge of the climate? Well, God made a remarkable statement after the flood. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. <clears throat> 
So God has put his stamp that he is in control of the climate of the world in these areas, but they've turned their back on him in these things. <clears throat> I will leave out the others. You can read them for yourselves. But I'll now apply what we have come to. In the light of Hebrews 11.4, we will draw out and now conclusion, Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. There is the testimony of God that he was a righteous man. It's by faith he offered a better sacrifice. Now, please note in your text, it's not condemning Cain's offering. It's a better sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice. It is the quality of the sacrifice that Cain made, contrasted with the sacrifice that Abel made. And Abel made his by faith. The reason we understand it is by faith is the type of offering Abel bought. And it is written in the, um, the references taken from Genesis. The word but is in, 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 in included in that record of the, the offering Abel made. But... Abel's offering was, it was from the firstborn of his flock. It was from the flock itself. It was from a clean animal and its blood was shed. They are four facts known about Abel's offering to illustrate its quality. What do you mean firstborn? Abel saw Christ as firstborn ahead. This is his substitute, which he will take his place and die in his place. Abel understood this. So the offering that he bring, he chose the firstborn because sheep have many ewe lambs, you the ewe lamb, when they have the you when it has its first lamb, that's its firstborn. But then they have other lambs. But Abel chose only the firstborn. He knew the firstborn and the importance of firstborn. And Christ is called in the in the book of Psalms, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. So Abel had immense faith. He looked forward to, he understood much more often that we, that we don't grasp. Not only was that true of Abel, he offered a clean animal. He distinguished completely and separated out the qualities that are demanded of a clean animal. Split hoof, chew the cud, which means <clears throat> the food you take in, you chew on, if you're going to chew the cud, the food you take in like a sheep, you chew on, that is the condition of a clean animal. It chews on what it receives and that makes it 
productive out of life. And since, since believers are sheep, the object is they chew the cud, the word of God. And the, out of that flows the life, they, the production that they have. Not only that, he shed its blood. Without blood, with the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Abel's offering was attested by God. <clears throat> he obtained witness. He was righteous. God testified of his gifts, which was fire from heaven to take his and leave Abel, uh, Cain's untouched. And by it, <clears throat> He's dead. He's still speaking. The message has not changed. The second man we look at, Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now we take Enoch and we just read his message in the Old Testament, the facts recorded of him, and they read to us like he was taken out of this world. But the conditions of his being taken out of this world, the age at which God took him, at that time, carry with them a very important message. He was translated that he should not see death. You say, well, that's so he would not die. No. The conditions of Enoch as a prophet, which he was, he had a crisis in his life at the age of 65. At the age of 65, he had a crisis when a son was born to him and he gave the name to that son, Methuselah. Literal meaning of Methuselah is when an, uh, a, a javelin is thrown, it has a trajectory when it hits the ground that is the length that's measured. That would be the measure of time. And that would be the limitation for this, that generation. Methuselah died the year of the flood. And Enoch prophesied to his generation, the Lord comes, he comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all that live ungodly, to convince all that are ungodly of all their ungodly speeches and of all their ungodly words against him. He's coming. That was, that was Enoch's testimony when he walked with God from that point of the birth of, of, of Methuselah. He walked with God 300 years. And in that time, he was a prophet to his generation. In that generation, the great falling away took place. Lamech was the start of it. 
and it's recorded to you in the seventh generation, the same generation of Enoch. Enoch saw it, Enoch spoke against it as a prophet. Note your wording. He was translated that he should not see death. If you took Enoch's age 365, when God took him, that was about the an hour in our measurements with in relation to the age we live today he was about 30 years old in our generation that is coming to full maturity at 30 years of age <clears throat> that's when god took him that he should not see death it was not so that he would not die the natural death that every other person was ordained to after sin entered the Bible tells you he was not found. Were they looking for him? Yes, they were looking for him to kill him. It's been the plot of every faithful prophet of the Old Testament to be rejected. List your prophets. List the, the testimony that Jesus gave. He sent servants. He sent more servants. They killed them. They stoned them. They did all this to them. They hated the words of the prophets because they wanted to go their own way. He should not see death. He was not found. They were looking for him to kill him, and God took him so he would not see death. Now, notice God's testimony. For his, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then comes the remarkable statement in, in verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6, the next verse down. But without faith, this kind of faith that is exhibited in these men, it is impossible to please him, meaning the faith that they have produced works out of their life and they become rejected by the world. It's impossible to please him without the kind of faith he's listening. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. He's the invisible God. He's the immortal God. He's the God who dwells in light that's unapproachable, whom no man has seen nor can see. This is the God that we worship. This is the one we come to. We must believe that he is. He exists as such. He's the invisible God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the whole object is seeking God so that the faith in his salvation through Christ is evidenced by a work that is the work of God in us and is commendable by God. Last one is Romans, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7. We, deal, we go after these men that have listed here. And now we pass by faith, Noah. Now we come to Noah himself. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet. And you only have to marvel at that statement. Not seen as yet. Jesus took that 
and he said, moved with fear, what was not seen as yet. There was no evidence externally that the judgment was about to fall. For 120 years, Noah had been building the ark. Patient, because the world was getting darker in these last three generations. Until God said, you only, Noah, you, to him, you only have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So Noah alone worshipped at the entrance to the Garden of Eden in the manner in which Abel had done. He kept that up and that was his testimony. And he was warned of God. There was no evidence it was happening. The miraculous was taking around. The animals were coming in. The ark was being finished. Everything was being put in place. The door was left down seven days. Anyone could have gone in. God in his mercy withheld. And finally God said, go into the ark. And God closed the door. And the Bible testifies he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. How? Why? By faith. He believed God and it moved him to the work that he did. By that behavior, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So as I've gone through these last, <clears throat> these these examples that we have here in scripture. I leave you with this thought. We live in a world that has turned again its back on God. The question is, is our faith measurable in our circumstances that we live in? Do we fix our eyes on Jesus and know that his promises stand? that he will take us through, that he will be the supporter in all that lies before us. Can we trust him? Do we know that he will stand by his side of the promises? And we are expected to stand by faith in the midst of this world, which is rapidly becoming anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Jew. That is the kind of world we are living. And we look up and we know this is the pathway we are heading into. When the time comes for the Father to send the Son, we do not know. But we do know for certain all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we can trust our God to fulfill his part. He will take us through. I've given you my thoughts. I trust they're helpful in the days that lie ahead. I, I realize my time is short.
I am unable to, to think clearly as I used to think. I am watching the process take place and God has comforted me from, this, from the book of Psalm, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So God has been a source of comfort, but my days are numbered, I know. Thank you as a fellowship for the privilege of being part of your, your meetings in the past. I remember with affection uh, the time spent among you. They have been precious for me. Uh, Peter is quite capable of ministering is different and in some ways very good for myself i will have to say goodbye maybe i'll see you in the morning so let's pray and commit to the Lord, the time we've been having together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together in the last time. Thank you for the comfort we have been able to draw as a family in our times of fellowship with the saints down in Melbourne there. It's been precious memories, Lord, and they've been rich times of fellowship for ourselves as a family. And, in, and being able to freely enjoy those who have like precious faith with us. Been a great source of encouragement. We want to thank you for it. We give thanks to the Lord for the way he has led. We give thanks for his mercy and his grace in allowing these days to pass with such rich memories. We know the future whole is held in your hands and we rejoice that one day, maybe not too far long, we will be gathered home and we'll be together for eternity with bodies that have been transformed and made like his glorified body and we will be forever with the Lord. These are comforting words in the time in which we live. We give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.